You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Our Heavenly Father, and we thank you that your name is worthy to be praised. Lord, thank you that we can gather this morning. Thank you for the work that you want to do in all of our lives. Thank you for your word that's alive, living, sharper than a two-edged sword, wanting to cut and divide and reveal things in our life. And we would ask, oh God, that this morning, once again, you would do your work like only you can. Spirit of God, thank you that you are not bound by location or by time. So we invite, Spirit of God, that you would come and have freedom in our midst, wherever we're meeting this morning. Uh, Lord, as we open your word, we would ask that you would open our eyes, that, that we would see glorious things in your word. Lord, incline our hearts towards you. We need help with that. Our hearts are not um, prone to be inclined towards you. So Spirit of God, would you do that work in our hearts today? Would you unite our hearts? Give us an undivided heart that we would be able to see the things that you have for us this morning. And then we would also pray, satisfy us this morning that we might be glad all the day long. We pray these things in the most wonderful, the most powerful, and the most majestic name of our Savior, our Lord, and our great treasure, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome uh, to Sunday morning. Hope Church. I'm going to move behind the pulpit here so that I can uh, get set up. It is great to be with you again. I'm Steve Jantz. Pastor Melvin has uh, mentioned who I am already, but thank you so much uh, uh, for allowing me to be with you again this morning. Uh, we are excited up at Sunny Bray to be able to launch next weekend. Um, on Thursday afternoon, our upperclassmen are going to be arriving from Western Canada primarily. Uh, back onto our campus uh, here in Sunnybrae in uh, the Shoe Swap. And then on Friday afternoon, our, our freshmen are going to sh- show up. And uh, it's going to be a bit different this year. The, the parents are going to drop them off and they're going to have much less time on campus this year. Um, we've been working hard the past month in July, particularly uh, in working through the WorkSafe BC safety plan and checking all the boxes and bringing uh, our campus into compliance. And so we're thrilled to have 93 students coming onto campus. That's uh, uh, first, second, and third years. And then we have about eight or nine fourth years that will be coming onto campus from time to time as well. So we're just so grateful to, to the Lord for His provision that we can start. Our campus out in Saskatchewan is, is uh, going to be launching next uh, weekend as well. And so we would just covet your prayers as the Spirit of God would remind you to uh, remind you of Miller that, that maybe you would just pray for us, that God would guide us, direct us, that we have discernment and wisdom as we live in the community there in Sunnybrae, that, that we would be mindful of the people around us and that we would be a, a good gospel witness to those who don't know Jesus. So we appreciate your prayers. And like I said, it's just a joy to be here. Um, you need to know, and I'm sure many of you do know, and I'm sure it's been mentioned already uh, over the course of the summer, but the team that does this every Friday evening when they get together and they do the singing and the, the worship and then the the tech team behind the wall, they are doing an amazing job, and the amount of work that's put into this is just stunning. And so I just commend the worship team and the, the team behind the scenes for the, the diligent and good work. I, I appreciate it when I've come here to, to preach, and um, just so grateful to God for people who are willing to give of themselves to meet the needs of the church here in Kelowna. Uh, this summer, we've been blessed to have our son Denver and his wife Katie and our granddaughter Noel with us. Denver and Katie are missionaries down in Mexico. 
And um, it's just been great. They, so they came up uh, the middle of July and they had to quarantine for a couple of weeks. So we got a fifth wheel on our property and they kind of were there and we were here and we could see, to, see each other in the yard a little bit. But the month of August has been wonderful. We've been able to connect. And uh, my relationship with my children has changed over the years. Obviously, you know, when they're younger and you're training them, you are kind of the, the father figure and the, the coach and the disciplinarian and and you're you're guiding them along and what what i find so thrilling in my relationship with my kids today is that my relationship with them has become way more of a friendship and so my boys tyler and denver and my daughter anna they're they're some of my best friends if not the best friends in my life and so it's just been wonderful to have denver and katie with us and and Denver and I have experienced over this past month some wonderful heart-to-heart times, some communion times with each other, some fellowship times with each other. And we've shared blessings and we've shared struggles, uh, what God's been doing in my life. And Denver's been sharing what God's been doing in his life as a dad and as a father and in the ministry and learning Spanish and all those things that are happening down in their ministry in Mexico. Some beautiful heart-to-heart moments and openness and transparency and and what i've walked away with is just the sense of these moments have been very life-giving well to a much greater extent and in much greater measure jesus had an intimate uh, heart communion with the god of this universe the creator of heaven and earth and it was his heavenly father while he was on this earth ministering it is just um, undeniable that his intentionality to have communion and fellowship and heart-to-heart relationship with his heavenly Father was happening. It was the life uh, for his ministry, going time and again, going back to have communion with his heavenly Father. And this morning, what I'd love to do is take a glimpse into the communion relationship that Jesus had with his heavenly Father. But before I do that, I want to uh, read a scripture from you from John chapter 17, uh, that, that, that shows, us some ama- shows us an amazing truth that you and I as followers of Jesus have been brought into this same intimate heart communion with Jesus and with the God of this universe with our Heavenly Father. Listen to what Jesus prays for you and me uh, here today in Kelowna, uh, up in Salmon Arm around Canada, 2020. And this he prays just hours before he goes to the cross where he's going to now make possible communion with his heavenly father for us. Listen to what he prays. He prays to his heavenly father and says, I do not only ask for these, talking about his disciples there on the ground with him 2,000 years ago, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. If we've trusted Jesus, we know now that Jesus is praying for us, for you and me, that they may uh, all be one. Now listen to this. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. What an invitation. What a thought that we've been brought into this intimate relationship with Jesus and with our Heavenly Father so that the world may believe that that you have sent me. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What a stunning reality that the privilege that is ours today is to have an audience with the Lord of creation. That's unbelievable that He would invite us to have an intimate 
relationship with Him and invite us into communion with Him. But not just simply as subjects to a king, though He is our king, right? He is our Lord, He is our king. But uh, the staggering, staggering reality is that we come to this king, this Lord, as a child who comes to, his fa- to their father because that is who we are to him. He is our heavenly father and we've been adopted into this relationship with him. How wonderful that is. That we would be, be invited into this communion relationship. So, uh, Hope Kelowna, this morning, let me ask you, how's your communion with God looking like these days? If you were to put a definition on what communion looks like for you with the God of this universe, with your Heavenly Father, what would that look like? What does the longing of your heart look like today? Is there a hunger that you have for Jesus? Is there a hunger that you have for your Heavenly Father? Do you long for communion with Him? Do you desire Him as your great treasure, more valuable than life itself? I mean... Think about what I just asked. Do you value Jesus more than life itself? That seems like a strange question, but King David in Psalm 63 prayed those very words. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I'll just be honest with you. There are a lot of days when I do not value his steadfast love more than I love my life because I am a fickle human being who struggles, who's prone to sin, We just finished singing the song that we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's that's the story of my life. And I think if you're honest, probably there are moments in your life that you would say, that's the banner on my life as well. But King David says, oh, your steadfastness, your love is better than life itself. So what's your communion like with God? The reality is that we're easily distracted by life, the trivial, the trifling, temporary things of this life. And as we begin to inch closer to the fall and maybe a little bit more normalcy than the summer, I don't know, just like you don't know what the fall is really going to look like with COVID-19 and all all the various things that are going to be demanded of us. But, But my prayer is that it becomes a little bit maybe more normal, a little bit more routine. And as we inch closer to this fall, I'm wondering if it might not be a great time for us to refocus, to recommit, and maybe to wage war against some of these trivial, trifling, temporary things that perhaps have been consuming our hearts. And I think one of the ways that we can combat our propensity to wander is to embrace regular rhythms of communion with our Heavenly Father. Luke chapter 22 is where I'd like you to turn. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 39 to to 36. But here we find Jesus uh, in a communion relationship with His Heavenly Father. And and I think that from these words, from from this text, we can actually see Jesus becoming an example or a model for us of what a regular rhythm of communion with His Heavenly Father really looks like. Now, let me just say something about this text. There are some texts in the Bible that are prescriptive. In other words, they tell us something to do. And then there are some texts in the Scripture that are descriptive or they're describing something. And this text is more of the latter. It's more descriptive. We're reading about Jesus. So So it doesn't specifically say here that we should model Jesus' example, and yet I don't think it would be wrong to say as we observe Jesus' life in this text, that we would say, man, if if Jesus, who who is fully God and also fully man, needed to have this kind of communion with His Heavenly Father, maybe we should sit up and, and take note of what this looked like. 
And the, the story of this, uh, the context here is just hours before Jesus ultimately goes to, the, to do the work of the cross. And, and it starts with Jesus going to his Father with commun- uh, in communion, and it ends with Jesus exhorting his disciples not to neglect going to the Father in communion. Well, let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 22, and starting in verse 39. This is what we read. This is God's word. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. May God bless the reading of his word. So what I'd like to do from this text is make three observations about Jesus's rhythms of communion with his heavenly father, and then some practical outplays after each one of these observations for you and me, something that maybe we can take home and hang our hat on and say, I need to do this. The the first one is so obvious and so clear. Number one, observation number one, Jesus had a place to go. He had a place to go. Verse 39 says that he went to the Mount of Olives. In Mark chapter 14, the parallel passage of this, it says that he went to Gethsemane. And so now we've got to put these two together. Mount of Olives, Gethsemane, which is it? Well, Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives or at the base of the Mount of Olives. And so the Mount of Olives was just east of Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley across the Kidron Brook. And there was this, this hill, this mountain uh, called the Mount of Olives because of the olive groves and the olive trees that were on this mountain. Beautiful trees. It would have been a a very beautiful place just east of Jerusalem. And at the base of this mountain, or this Mount of Olives, uh, or Olivet sometimes it's referred to, was a little garden called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means oil press. So you can do the math that from these olive groves, they would harvest the olives and then they would take it to Gethsemane, this garden where there was an olive press. Probably not a very big place, but probably really beautiful, quiet, away from the hustle and bustle of the city. You had to actually escape from the city to get there. Uh, and peace, it was a peaceful retreat that Jesus could steal away to. It was intentional that Jesus went to this place. Have you ever tried to have communion with your Heavenly Father, intimate, uh, an intimate time with Him in a place full of commotion and distractions? Uh, when I read books, I sometimes qualify them as a Starbucks read and a non-Starbucks read. A Starbucks read is simply one that I can open up at Starbucks and be able to get through it. It's a little bit lighter, fair of reading. But then there are some books where it just it takes uh, focus and, and having distraction and people ordering their coffee or, or just uh, distractions on the peripheral, you can't focus in on it. And the reality is when we pursue communion with God, though it's possible in commotion, even while you're driving down a busy road, you can have communion with God. Oh, it can be so difficult to stay focused when we don't have a specific place to go. And Jesus' rhythm here was clear. He had a place to go, and He knew He needed to be with His Heavenly Father. 
He was so intentional about finding a quiet, a peaceful, a serene hideaway away from the distractions. And like I just said a moment ago, if Jesus, uh, who was fully man, but also fully God, if He needed to escape, if He needed a place to go to, how much more those of us who are bent towards sin and, and prone to wander, how much more do we need a place to go? About nine years ago when we moved here, um, I inherited an office at Sunnybrae Bible Camp. I still have that room to this day, and it's a great office. It's got a great view over the lake, but it was pretty bare bones. And I come from a, 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 a nice office pastoring in Winnipeg, and in my office, though it was small in Winnipeg, uh, we had, I had two love seats in there facing each other, and I could meet with people, but the, the, on the one end of one of the love seats was kind of my place. I had a, 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 a little coffee table next to that end of the uh, love seat, and I had a lamp there, and I had some books, some devotional books, some hymn books, and it was the place where I would meet with my Heavenly Father. It was my place of communion, and I would go there almost every day in the morning before the rest of the staff would show up. I'd leave home, and I would go to meet Jesus there. And I just had some wonderful encounters with, with him. And so now I come to BC and I've got this office that's rather bare. And it was about a year after we had moved here and I was teaching a fourth year course out in Saskatchewan at our home campus. And I was encouraging the students that I was teaching, you need to have a place to go. Do you have a place to go? If, if, if I were to say, you need to meet with Jesus this afternoon, do you know where you'd go? And the Spirit of God just kind of nudged me a little bit and said, Steve, where's your place? And it's not that I hadn't been spending time with God, but it wasn't a place that was like, this is where I'm going to go. Gethsemane was that place for Jesus. And so by God's grace, over the course of the next few weeks, I did make my office a place. And to this day, there's an escape for me to meet with God. So I get, try to get to the office early during the college year. I try to get there by six o'clock. And most of the students aren't up yet. The staff haven't rolled in. And I can have some sweet, sweet times with my Heavenly Father. A place away from distractions. Do you have that place? Do you have a place that you go? It seems rather simple, but oh, how practical this advice would be to you this morning, Hope Kelowna, that you would have a specific place. That's where I'm going to go to meet God. That's where I'm going to open up His Word to hear what He has to say to me because that's the primary way of how He speaks to us and that's the place where I can bear my heart, open up my heart, and bring my requests and my praise and my worship and my petitions to Him, my intercessions to Him. Do you have a place like that? Let me just tell you that, that your flesh, along with the enemy, will fuel all kinds of distractions to keep you from heart communion with God, a regular communion place. But if you have a place, it's going to make it a little bit easier. So well, my encouragement to you is be have, uh, it would be to have a place. The second observation here is also in verse 39. It's really clear as well. You're, you're going to see it. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Jesus went regularly. That's the second observation. He had a place, and secondly, he went regularly, as was, it says, his custom or his habit. It was... Uh, it was uh, it in indicates, rather, that Jesus came here regularly, so regularly that it had become a custom for him. L let me read a few verses from the Gospels that would highlight the fact that he went to a mountain or the mount or all of it, and probably would have been this garden at the base of the mountain that he went to. Just listen, when Jesus had spoken, this is from John 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the, of, uh, the, the ravine of Kidron, 
where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now listen, now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. I mean, this, not only was it a place that Judas knew, he knew that Jesus went there with such regularity that if we're going to find Jesus anywhere, Judas, the betrayer, he says, that's where he's going to be. I'm going to go there. I'm going to meet him there. Is that the way it is for you? Would people in your life know that the regular rhythm of your life is to have communion with God? That there's such regularity in your life to do that, that, that that's just one of the benchmarks, one of the defining pieces in your life? How about Matthew chapter 14? Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he sent the crowds away, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Probably, it's not explicit, but probably the Mount of Olives, probably Gethsemane. Luke chapter 6, and it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 9, some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And Luke 21, now during the day he was teaching in the temple, but at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called all of it, probably in the garden. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. Jesus not only had this place, he went regularly. It was just the habit of his life. So practically, can I just encourage you that not only do you need to have a place, it would be really advisable that you go regularly. Are you going to your garden? Are you going to your retreat enough so that it is becoming a habit for you? I, I personally, just in my own life, I find mornings to be a good time to do that. I, I get up with this understanding and realization that the whole day is lying ahead of me. And I know that my propensity is to bend away from Jesus, that I am prone to wander. And oh, to set my heart in the right place, that my heart would have a, a foundation that I've met with God and He's given me some strength for today. I can, I can fight this battle in His power. And so it's not, we're not told in the Bible that we should meet in the mornings, but, but can I ask you, do you have a, a regular time that you're meeting with your Heavenly Father to hear from Him, to pray to Him, to pour out your heart to Him? Do you have a regular rhythm for your time with Jesus? And here's the third observation. Jesus came with the right heart posture. He came with the right heart posture. In verse 42, we read this, and this is now Jesus before his heavenly father pouring out his heart and he says father if you're willing and he's now talking about his imminent death this the next day he would be ushered on to Golgotha and he'd be hung there he'd be beaten he knew that this was going to happen and he was there was this inner turmoil happening he says father if you're willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and then we read on in verse 41 or uh, verse 43 and there appeared to him angels from heaven strengthening him and being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And so we see Jesus coming with the right heart posture. There's sort of two elements that I want to point out here. First of all, he comes with a heart of surrender. He comes surrendered to the Father's complete sovereignty and rule. He knows that his heavenly Father is sovereign over the next hours, the next day. He knows that, that this is preordained, that that God, the, his, that his heavenly Father had planned this, that he was part of the planning. Jesus comes to this earth willingly, not under um, a duress, 
but he comes willingly, lovingly to lay down his life. But in that moment where he knows this is really going to get bad now, and there's this tension in his heart, and, and so he comes with this heart of surrender. God, Father, if it's possible, would you remove this, but, but not my will, not my earthly will, but yours be done. And he knows the Father has a plan. He knows exactly how things are going to unfold, how things are going to happen. And Jesus, in his knowledge of what lies ahead, surrenders himself to the Father's sovereign will, fully trusting that the Father would do all things right. And Jesus completely resigns himself to the Father's plan. But he, he doesn't just come surrendered. He comes expectantly. And maybe it's not, once again, not so clear here, but I certainly think it's implied that he's coming expecting his Father to show up in this moment. He's not coming here. He's, he's not, he's not, I don't think he's waffling for a minute. He's going to the garden He's met with his father before. He has a track record. God's met me over these nights or these early mornings when I've gone there. And now I'm coming again with this, with this heaviness. And, and, and in this particular hour, there was an earnestness to it. It says he prayed all the more earnestly. He comes with a, a heavy heart, a massive, colossal need in his life. This word agony in the Greek means inner conflict or inner tension. So he comes with this turmoil in his heart because he knows what's coming and he cries out, and he cries out, I believe, expecting to be heard, expecting to be answered. So he comes surrendered, and he comes expectant. How about you? When you have communion with God, do you come with your agenda, with the things that you want to do, or are you coming like Jesus with a surrendered heart? Do you come into your communion with your Heavenly Father, longing to be surrendered to what He has for us, for you, he longs that we would embrace His sovereignty, His authority, His will. And that's where we rest. It's, it acts like a ballast. I, when I began my ministry back in the 80s, I pastored a little church in Georgetown, Prince Edward Island. And Georgetown had sort of three main um, industries. There was fishing, obviously. It was a fishing village. And then there was tourism, but they also had a shipyard that was earned, uh, owned by the Irvings. And I toured that shipyard uh, on a number of occasions, and they would build some pretty impressive vessels in this shipyard in the, in the small town of Georgetown. And one of the most critical parts of boat manufacturing is ensuring that there is a good ballast in place. A ballast is, is, is some sort of a weight, uh, typically water, in the hull or the belly of the ship. And what a ballast does, it provides balance and stability. It keeps the boat, the ship, upright in the waves and the storms when there's a a sea squall or a gale that shoots up when you're in the middle of the ocean, a ballast keeps the ship upright. You want to make sure that you have a good ballast in place before you head out onto the stormy seas. When the storm hits, there's no time to figure out how's my ballast in my boat doing right now. And in a very similar sense, for you and me, the ballast for our ship is to come with a surrendered heart to the sovereignty of God. That He is in complete control, that He rules, that He is kind and gracious even when things don't maybe seem that way, and that He is sovereign. And that brings a ballast to us. In the midst of a storm, we keep going back to that. And so Jesus comes in this turmoil of heart, and He surrenders Himself to the sovereignty of His heavenly Father. Uh, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 139. There are some wonderful truths about God's sovereignty there, and it would just be good for your soul. Maybe tomorrow morning or later this afternoon as you're meditating on what God's been saying to you, that you just take time to read through that and meditate on God's sovereignty in your life. 
Do you know that it says there that before there's even a word on your tongue, he knows what you're going to say? Um, David goes on to say, there's nowhere I can go where you're not going to be there, be, be, be by my side. And when the darkness overwhelms me, you are there because to you, darkness is no different than light. And so we can trust and, and entrust ourselves to the sovereignty of God. Surrender is such a critical part of Jesus living in you and me. And so when we come for communion with our Heavenly Father, we come surrendered, we come resigned. How about expectantly? I, I, can't, I can't help but wonder sometimes if one of the hesitations for me to go and have communion, that regular rhythm of communion with my Heavenly Father is because I'm not coming expectantly enough. I come out of religious duty. I come out of a, maybe out of just a, a, a habit that doesn't have a heart behind it. You know we can do this. We can become very religious in what we do, but our hearts are far from, uh, for, for, far from God. That was the indictment against the Pharisees and the children of Israel in the Old Testament. With their lips they draw near, but their hearts are far from me. And so I wonder sometimes in my own heart, my own life, if the, one of the reasons I'm not going is because I'm not going expectantly. Oh, that we would come expectant, anticipating that God would be faithful to His promise. You want to hear two promises for you today, Hope Kelowna? Promises that when you come, you can expect God to show up. When you have your place and you're going regularly and you come with a surrender heart that, that when you open up His Word and read it, that He's going to show up. He's going to speak to you. He's going to convict you. He's going to warm your affections towards Him. Submit yourself therefore to God, James says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How about Hebrews chapter 4? Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now here is the promise. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So are you coming expectantly? There's a real battle that rages in our lives. Our flesh fights every day to draw near to other things other than God, to find our satisfaction and our security and our answers. And oftentimes the first thing we do when we get up is open up our phone and look at Facebook or Instagram or whatever else it might be, get influenced already from the outside rather than having God influence our mind and our thinking. And our flesh needs to fight every day against this. Um, and this story bears witness in the same story that we find recorded in the book of Mark. Mark says, Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch now. It says in Mark 14, verse 38, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so there's this battle that goes on in our life. And, and I just want to encourage you uh, this, this uh, morning, Hope Church, to come expectant. Come expectant. And, and maybe the, the way it needs to start is by you coming to God and saying, I need your help with this. Maybe it's coming and admitting your weakness, uh, coming and admitting your neediness, and where you would just say, God, would you give me a heart that longs for intimacy for, with you? I just don't, I don't have that right now. Would you help me with that? Would you help me have a, a longing for that? Give me a desire, a longing to meet with you. I know what my soul needs. I need heart communion with you, but I'm so distracted by these other things. Would you help me? I came across an acronym that's been particularly helpful to me, and I have it actually in the front of my 
Bible, and I use it every time. Well, let me say probably uh, 98% of the time, and it's right here. It's a little acronym that I got from John Piper. It's called IOUS, the IOUs. Can I just share that? It's going to be on the screen for you. And, and before you open up the Bible to hear from God in your, in your place that you're meeting regularly, coming with a surrendered heart, one of the ways that you can set your heart up to anticipate and expect God to meet up is by praying these prayers that we find in Psalm. First of all, incline. God, would you incline my heart? Psalm 119, verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Our hearts bend away from God, left to their own devices. And so we would just, I, so this, is, this is what happens with me. I'm sitting down in my corner in my office, and I'll just pray, Lord, would you now incline my heart towards you? There's so many things that are fighting for my inclinations, and I need you to help me. So just ask him. Then open, Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. You know, this is more than just black words on white paper. This is God's word, and what we need is his spirit who lives in us to open our eyes to glorious things in his word. And so I pray that. I ask just like David, Lord, would you open my eyes that I might see glorious things in your word? Help me with that. Open my eyes. I don't want to spend the next 10, 15, 20 minutes just reading words. I want you to show me something, reveal something about yourself to me that would warm my affections, that would make my heart sing. And then unite. Unite my heart. He says in Psalm 86, teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name or give me an undivided heart. Oh, you know what it's like. We get so many distractions. We sit down, we're ready to hear from God and, and, and I get a text or a, a thought of an email that I need to write pops in my mind and I leave that behind and I go write an email and before I know it, it's not six o'clock in the morning anymore. It's now 9.30 and it's like, I, I, I started there, but I got distracted. So, so you pray, you just ask him, Lord, would you unite my heart? Would you unite my heart, give me an undivided heart, help all of the distractions of, of yesterday and all the anticipations for the day-to-day, would you just help them go aside and help me to stay focused, honed in on what you have? And then finally, as satisfy, Psalm 90, verse 14, will satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. That's what I want in the mornings. I want my heart to be satisfied with Jesus. I, I don't read the Bible I don't have communion so that I can put a little star next to my religious duty. There I go. I did it. Isn't that great? I go to the Bible and I pray because I want to be satisfied. Like a deer going to the water to drink. That's what I need. And my thirst quenched. And so this is a means to an end. My praying is a means to an end. I want to be satisfied with God. I want to be satisfied with Jesus. David in Psalm 63. And I long for David's heart says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Do you feel that way? You need God. You're, you're just, you're, you're parched. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then David does something about it. What does he do? He says, so I've looked upon you in this sanctuary beholding your power and your glory. He goes and has communion with God because he's dry, he's thirsty, he's hungry. And so I just want to encourage you that you should come anticipating that God is going to be faithful to His promise. Come expectantly. That you too would be strengthened. Jesus is strengthened in this text. Wonderful. An angel comes and strengthens Him for what lies ahead. And I believe with all my heart that as we come expecting God to meet us, He will meet us. 
and he will warm the fires of our affections towards him and he will meet us and he will give us strength for for the day as we as we live on the promises that he's given us so as we close this morning can i remind you how this is even all possible it's because of the gospel because of what jesus did on the cross for you and me jesus broke the barrier of sin that made us enemies with god and he tore that veil apart so that we could enter in with boldness and jesus brought us to new life and we've been adopted by the heavenly father because of jesus's work on the cross and and jesus has reconciled us and brought us near to god and we stand justified completely righteous clothed in jesus's righteousness today and because of the gospel we come boldly before the throne therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hope Kelowna, find a place. Go regularly and then come with a right heart posture, surrendered to him and expectant to meet with him and he with you. And when you do, God will be glorified. So Father, thank you for your word. I need this for me. This is for for Steve this morning. But I pray for my brothers and sisters as well that are listening, that you would stir in our hearts a desire to have regular rhythms of communion with you. Help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.